From Powder Keg headquarters in Indianapolis, this is Unvalley, the show for leaders who want to unlock their full potential and plug into the biggest opportunities in tech and startups beyond Silicon Valley. I'm Matt Hunkler, CEO of Powder Keg, and on the show today, the co-host of the My First Million podcast and the founder of The Hustle, Sam Parr. I hosted this event called HustleCon, and the idea was I was, I was not, I'm not technical. I was like, I'm going to get a bunch of non-technical founders to speak at this event. And in order to get speakers, I'm going to blog about it and create a newsletter. And I was like, best case, I break even and I meet someone who I could partner with and eventually start a company with. Worst case, I just lose a little bit of money and I learn a new business and have fun. So I created this event and we hosted it and like 400 people came and I made like 50 or 60 grand in profit. Sam and his team went on to build HustleCon over several years to include speakers like the founders of Pandora, Bonobos, Twitch, and dozens of other well-known tech companies. But the conference was just the beginning of something much, much bigger. During this conversation with Sam, you're going to hear about the simple writing technique that helped Sam create enormous opportunities in his career, including at HustleCon. You're also gonna hear about how to optimize your career for success, even if you don't have money or connections. I particularly enjoyed the Midwest values that Sam talked about, which lay the foundation for his successful career in tech. And be sure to listen to the end because you want to hear why Sam is investing in real estate in Unvalley tech hubs like Austin. That's all coming up on this episode of Unvalley. But before we get started, I wanted to remind you that Unvalley is brought to you by Powder Keg the only private member network focused on supporting tech companies and leaders in fast-growing communities beyond Silicon Valley. To get the latest news from Unvalley tech hubs and startups in the Unvalley, be sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter because each week you're going to get a curated digest of the most important tech news in the Unvalley, covering the biggest trends and opportunities in fast-growing communities beyond the Bay Area. This is where the biggest opportunities are. So to be the first to know about the best jobs and exclusive powder keg events with leaders from the community, be sure to subscribe to the newsletter at powderkeg.com slash newsletter. Okay, we recorded this interview with Sam Parr during a virtual event that was hosted by Powder Keg, and we're sharing it publicly with you for the first time, just for you, here on the Unvalley Podcast. Let's hit it. So Sam, thanks so much for being with Powder Keg and the Unvalley community today, man. Nice. I've never been called an artist before, so that's cool. Hey, I, I really think you are. I've you know followed from afar as your career has kind of grown, expanded. Certainly learned a lot from how you grew the hustle. Applied a lot of that to how we grew the community here at Powder Keg. And I think in a lot of ways, what you do is is artistic. I consider it that, but I've never had yeah. anyone else consider it that. So I'll take it. Hey, you're, you're a great writer. You're, uh, you're a great thinker. And I think those are two really key things to being a great artist. Good. Well, what's going on? Well, hey, I'm, I'm excited to talk a little bit about your, your journey to uh, a nice eight-figure exit with HubSpot. But there are so many things that we could talk about. But I figured we could at least, for those who may be unfamiliar with your story, maybe understand a little bit about your roots and your background. I believe you were born in the Midwest. And I, I think I saw a quote online of you calling it the mid-best as well. <laughs> That's <laughs> so. funny. That sounds like something I would say. Yeah, I'm, I was born in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm most well-known because I started this thing called The Hustle, which is a daily email that has over 2 million subscribers. I sold it uh, a year and a half ago for, uh, let's just say, many tens of millions of dollars. I don't love talking about the amount because I owned most of the company. It feels weird when people know your finances, I find it a little odd, but, uh, I, and then now I host our podcast, which is called my first million. And it's quite popular. One of the most popular business podcasts in the world, I, I think maybe five or 10 most popular. And at the hustle, we owned all types of stuff. We owned this daily email. That was a really big business. And we owned trends, which is a paid subscription newsletter. That was really big before the pandemic. We had HustleCon, which was a conference that was quite large. And of course now it doesn't even exist because of the pandemic, but uh, I started in Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri, went to St. Louis University High School. When I was 18, I left St. Louis and I moved to Nashville, Tennessee. When I was in Nashville, I started a hot dog stand and I worked for the guy who was the main character or the main guy on American Pickers. And he kind of like taught me a little bit about entrepreneurship. And so that's why I started the hot dog stand. 
From there, I dropped out of school a little bit early. I eventually finished, but I left school early and I moved out to San Francisco to join this company called Airbed and Breakfast. Uh, now, now it's called Airbnb. And then I started a company called um, Bunk, which was like a roommate matching app and sold that for a very small amount and then started this company. And I've known for like starting media companies, but I've done a, a, a fair amount of things kind of in the background, like uh, real estate investments and uh all types of weird stuff. I, I think it's weird, at least. Growing up in St. Louis, did you find that you were exposed to other entrepreneurs or other artists? Not in the sense, not in the sense that we're talking. My father, my mother and father started a fruit stand and that was their first business. And it kind of became a little bit bigger than that. And eventually my mother became a school teacher to support my father as he was kind of starting this business. And she also worked it at night. So she was kind of working two jobs. And then, um, she would get summers off and take care of us. But then my dad was always grinding and he started this thing called the, it was called a fruit stand. Eventually it became far more successful uh, and they sold onions basically to like, you buy a million dollars of onions from California and you sell it to Walmart for like $1.1 million and you try to like make a little bit of profit on that. So we started a produce brokerage business and it wasn't like big in terms of Silicon Valley big, but in terms of St. Louis big, by the time I was in high school, it was definitely successful where he was, I'm sure he was earning a few hundred thousand dollars a year. So that that was considered quite large for our family because we didn't have much money before that. And so I knew that sense of entrepreneurship where it was like small business. I didn't know, like when I originally got my job at Airbnb, my mom was like, what the heck? This sounds like a Ponzi scheme. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like they thought that like, if you told them, if we told my family that like Facebook had 5,000 employees at the time, they'd be like, why do you need 5,000 people to operate a webpage? You know what I mean? So like, it wasn't like in the sense that we know it, but it was in the, like we were, I grew up around small business owners for sure. Restaurant owners, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I know you've talked to hundreds of entrepreneurs now at this point, if not thousands. What were some of the things that you think you learned growing up in St. Louis, observing your mom and dad, how they are uh, empowering each other as your dad grows this business, doing millions of dollars in onion sales, which I had no idea was a, a, the background story for you. What were some of those things you think you absorbed that maybe some other entrepreneurs don't have? Well, so I moved out to San Francisco when I was young. And I when I got there, I had like my wife went to an Ivy League school. And I was like, what's the Ivy League? That sounds like some shit I read about in Harry Potter. So like, I didn't know anything. I was like, totally like, <laughs> kind of a redneck and, and, and didn't know anything. And I uh, got out to California and I met these people from like, I remember like, I went to Berkeley, the Berkeley campus. And I like, and I went to Stanford's campus. And I like took a selfie. I'm like, Oh, my God, I'm on Stanford's campus. So like, I met these people who I like, I'd only read about this type of stuff. And what I noticed was immediately that the people that I was raised around were far more humble. They were definitely more like just shut up and do the work. Don't talk about it. Talk less, work more. They were way less entitled. And I these are generalizations, but I, and, and I don't think it's bad. Like the people I was around in Silicon Valley, they were way more confident and they thought bigger sometimes. But um, so like it's pros and cons, but they were Missouri folks that are Midwestern folks were way kinder, way more humble and talked way less. Yeah, I, that sounds like uh, it, it could be a pro or a con, depending on how it's played. It, it's both. Like it's a, it, you know, a, what's it? A, a squeaky, a squeaky wheel is the one that gets like the attention. You know what I mean? So like the people who talk a lot definitely can get more value sometimes. But yeah, pros and cons. And, and how about Nashville? You're you're out in Nashville, first time living in a different city outside of St. Louis. I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. I um, I I went to Nashville because I got a sports scholarship to, uh, for track and field. And uh, Nashville at the time was like up and coming. So I thought it would be a good place to kind of like meet other up and coming people and uh, kind of get like a mentor, things like that. And uh, from there, I, I think you dropped out of college to go move to San Francisco. Can you tell me that story? How did that come about? And how did you make that decision? Was that a, a hard one? No. So I had been making money on the internet, selling stuff on eBay. I created an e-com store and it was making like $1,000 a day. And I was like, man, the internet is so much better than selling hot dogs and working outside with my hands because like that's physically demanding. I can only make money when I'm there. And so I started researching and I had remembered hearing about this company called Airbed and Breakfast. And I heard the story about it and I saw their marketing and design. And I was like, man, this is so cool. This is so innovative. And I've also heard about UberCab. It was called UberCab back then. And so I cold emailed the founders of these companies and they were like, uh, yeah, come interview at the, come interview. 
you're in the Bay Area, right? And I was like, yeah, I'm in the Bay Area when I wasn't. I had never been west of like Colorado before. I didn't even know what the Bay Area meant. I thought San Francisco and LA were the same thing. And I was like, yeah, I'm there. I'll see you Monday. And I immediately fly out there and I get an interview at those companies. And Airbnb, uh, they offered me a job. But they offered me a job I accepted. And at the time, back in college, I had some demons in my life and I got in trouble with the law and I lied about it. And I had a misdemeanor. I got a DUI. I, I don't drink anymore. And I don't party. I don't break the law anymore. But back then I had some demons and I lied about it on my resume. I basically said, no, I'd not been convicted of a crime. And they found out that I lied about it. And so when I was out there, I had been out there I was about to start on a Monday. They called me on a Sunday and they're like, dude, you lied to us. We can't hire a liar. So I didn't get to start ever at that company. And so I was basically out there. I'm like, shoot, I don't have a lot of money. Like, what am I going to do? And so that's kind of how it started. How do you think the rest of your career benefited from what I'm assuming was a, a pretty low low at the moment? Dude, it was tragic. Like, you know, my mother and father were like devastated for me. You know, they're like, I had obviously been in trouble and I thought I was getting my act together. And then I was suffering the consequences still of some stupid mistakes. So yeah, it was very low. How did it impact the rest of the career? I mean, I'm still friends with those people who fired me. They should have fired me. I was a liar. Um, but, you know, Ryan Holiday has that book, The Obstacle is the Way. That was 100% true with my life. I was like, you know, this is just horrible. This is this sucks. I got to figure it out. And so when I was out there, I started that's when I started my first business. And that's kind of like how I met a bunch of people that would help me start what became my more successful business, The Hustle. Well, one of the things I, I appreciate about you is that uh, one of those first businesses was events based. And that's how Powder Keg started. And we're at a virtual event right now. We started as an in-person event, watching The Hustle take off and, and grow at HustleCon. Uh, it was pretty pretty exciting to see and grow. What was it like behind the scenes? How did that all come about? So after I sold my first business, I basically had like 50 grand in my name. And I was like, all right, that's a good start. I got to uh, figure out what to do next, though. And so I hosted this event called HustleCon. And the idea was I was I was not I'm not technical. I was like, I'm going to get a bunch of non-technical founders to speak at this event. And in order to get speakers, I'm going to blog about it and create a newsletter. And I was like, best case, I break even and I meet someone who I could partner with and eventually start a company with. Worst case, I just lose a little bit of money and I learn a new business and have fun. So I created this event and we hosted it and like 400 people came and I made like 50 or 60 grand in profit. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. I did not expect that to happen. And I met all these amazing people and I was like, you know what, let's do it again. So we did it again and it made like a quarter of a million in uh, revenue or 200,000, something like that. And I was like, all right, this is pretty neat. I'm happy that I was able to get this traction. But conferences stink when it's your only source of income because it's very stressful. Everything comes down to the last two weeks. It's really, really, really hard. But if I was able to convince like $300,000 worth of people to fly in from around, this around the world and attend this event, maybe there's something here. And I was getting those people to come via content. And I was like, maybe I should go the content route instead. And so I learned everything I could about the media business just by reading books. And that's how we launched The Hustle, which ended up, you know, that could have, we sold a little, we sold kind of early, but that would have been, I mean, there was a very clear path to make nine figures a year in revenue. It seems to me like those two skills, the one you already talked about, which is cold emailing people, the other one being writing and writing well, seem to be two kind of superpowers of yours that you've put to use in a way that has influenced your career do you think there's anything that's made a bigger influence than those two particular skills? Well, and I would say they're the same skills, but I, and I would, instead of writing, what I would say is figuring out what emotions motivate people and effectively communicating that to get people to do what I want them to do. So like learning how to write to get someone to feel a certain way, learning how to write that makes someone want to come to your event, learning how to write that makes someone want to reply to your email, learning how to write so you can convince someone to buy something, just like learning how to like get people to do stuff with words. Could we uh, dive into a use case? So I, I love your example of reaching out to Airbnb. Hey, Airbnb, Uber Cab, which it was called at the time, two companies I might want to work at. I, I don't expect you to remember word for word, but if Sam were writing that today, how would you construct that email in a way that you think would drive the most response? Well, what I did back then was actually like pretty effective, I thought, but basically... Around that time, there was this company that had just popped up called Reportive. Do you remember Reportive? I totally remember Reportive. So when it came out, it was like 
breathtaking. Of course, now the technology is just like a, uh, a commodity. Everyone has it. But basically, what it allowed you to do was see the person who is emailing you, see all their social profiles. And I hacked it to where I made this Google spreadsheet and you could type in someone's first name, someone's last name, and then the URL that you think their email would be. And it would create like a hundred different permutations. So it'd be like spar at uh, airbnb.com, sam at airbnb.com, uh, sp at airbnb.com. And then you could hack it by putting that into the sender part of the email and you could highlight each one to figure out which the e- which email was real. And then I hacked it further where it said like it would autofill like where they worked and the and it, anyway it was kind of cool. And I cold emailed the CEO or someone like that and I go, "Hey, you know, Airbnb is amazing, but I think you guys could get a lot more listings if you tried this strategy. Here's how it works. Uh, it does this, this and this with using reportive. And you could cold email like people to get them to list their stuff. I, I think that could be really effective and work." I've got no dog in the I've got no dog in this fight, but I just love Airbnb. Maybe I'll even work there. But I think if you implement this strategy, you'll get more sales. Talk soon. Like it was something like that, and I was just trying to give value, and that like stuck out, and I got a reply. I love that story. I, I think I think that that seems like it paid dividends, even though it didn't get the result you wanted in the medium term. Well, it did get the result I wanted. I'm the one who blew it, but yeah, it, it did get the result that I wanted. So it worked out, but. Uh, yeah, it would still work today. Like cold emailing is one of those things that we're going to look at back in like 50 years. And you're like, I can't believe it. If you could just guess someone's email and talk to anyone. I mean, I've, I've, you can email Jeff Bezos. And if you email him enough time, you might get a, you might get a reply. It's pretty wild. I'm going to ask people to drop in the chat. Who's, who's up for emailing Jeff Bezos enough time to see if they get a reply and uh, see if anyone raised their hand. You could definitely do it with a lot more people than you think. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, I, it's, it seems like those skills, yeah, the humility, the uh, ability to move people emotionally, and then also just the willingness to go for it, move to Nashville, moved out to Silicon Valley. That's giving you some momentum in your career. 100%. Tell me what you learned being in that culture of Silicon Valley. I loved it. I still love it. You know, I, I tease San Francisco a lot and I'm mad at San Francisco about some things, but in general, it was amazing. I remember meeting people my own age who were paying rent on their own with their own business, like their, through their own business. And I was like, oh my God, there's other weirdos like me who like, well, can make, want to make money on their own versus getting a job or who want to uh, create websites that provide value and make money. It was awesome. I felt like I was finally among like my people because San Francisco, or at least back then, this was 2002. 12, which isn't that long ago, but long enough that like startups weren't that common. Like it was weird. I remember I had a, I used to make videos for YouTube and like I was a freak. It was considered like people were like, what are you doing, dude? This is kind of odd. And, uh, you know, it was like, remember like what online dating was like years ago? Like if you said like you online dated, that's weird. I remember like being one of the first people to sign up for OkCupid. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> uh, and so anyway, when I went to San Francisco, a few things stuck out. One, it was amazing to be around people that all loved the internet and like trying and believing it to be the future. Number two, I met so many people that were super, super ambitious and capable of getting it done. And so there's a bunch of my friends who we all met one another when we we're 22. Some of them are, are billionaires now and they're like my buddies. And I'm like, I'm like, man, dude, I knew you when you were not that. And you're not much smarter than me. You might be a little bit smarter. In some cases, you might be a little dumber, but you pulled it <laughs> off. And so like being around, it's kind of like in Jamaica, you have all these 100 meter dash runners that are all really good. It's like, I wonder if one of the reasons why you guys are so good is because you, you just grew, you just grew up in a culture of, of sprinting excellence. And in San Francisco, I was like in a culture of business excellence. And, and that that's what it felt like. And then number three, the average Joe in San Francisco was fairly open to new ideas. So like when before Uber, there was a company called Sidecar and you'd pick people up and you'd sit on the front seat. That was like the thing. You sit in the front seat with the driver. And I remember when that first came out, like people were willing to try all these new and weird things. And uh, I thought that was so cool that people were open to that. So those were probably the three things that stood out the most. And also San Francisco is hard to live in, man. It's expensive. There's crime. It's hard. And I was like, if I can make it here, I can, you know, I'm, I'm the real deal. And so it was like a boot camp. Trial by fire. Yes. It was really hard to live in. And I remember like, like being, trying to be able to, at the time, my rent back then was $1,100 a month. And that was like 
so much money to me. I was like, there's no way anyone can afford this. And so <laughs> your, your standards change quick. Absolutely. Do you think that that Silicon Valley culture, uh, last year, Greg Eisenberg spoke at Unvalley and talked about the unbundling of Silicon Valley. Silicon, Silicon Valley is in the cloud now. Do you think online communities and even some of the things that you built like trends has some of the same elements? Or do you think there's something that is not replicable about internet communities? Yeah, internet communities are the second best option. And they're and it's a really good option. Internet communities are great. You know, I've got a business partner, Joe Spicer, and we've I've been business partners with him for like two or three years, and I consider him my best friend. I've only met him three times. And so I think like you and like, you know, I've got a bunch of friends. Greg, I haven't been around, I'm good friends with Greg. I'm good friends with this guy named Sahil Bloom. I have I've never met them. And I consider them great friends and I consider them to be very inspirational to my life. So yeah, I think it's really, really, really uh, effective. I do think that being in an office, like in San Francisco, when I was just starting my company, I had a shared office with a bunch of interesting entrepreneurs. You know, none of us could afford our own office. So we all pulled our money together. One of them was this guy who started a company called Native Deodorant, which he sold for in two years for $100 million in cash. And he bootstrapped it. Another guy has an e-com brand that's doing like two or 300 million years in, in, in revenue. Another one was Ryan Hoover, the guy who started Product Hunt. Like we were all in this little office getting things going. Uh, same with Sean Purry, my co-host. And there was something special, particularly when you're young and you have zero direction and you don't have many role models. Like a lot of people in San Francisco, I feel like we, we came as like kind of the outsiders. And then we came to San Francisco and we were part of this we finally met other people like us and you're like very impressionable and you like, I think there was something special about physically being in the same room with someone. Now as an adult, like a, a little bit more grown, I kind of know my values. I don't think it's as important, but it was very important then. What do you think are some of those, those things that you got specifically? You mentioned some of these people. Was there a particular skill or perspective early on in those early days when you're getting the hustle off the ground that was just a total paradigm shift? 100%. So I used to host HustleCon. And I remember there was one time where we were in a room at HustleCon. I used to lie to all the speakers and tell them the wrong time that they were going to speak. And I would say, I would be like, yeah, you got to be here at this time. And it was like two hours ahead of time. And like, the reason I would do that is just so I could hang out backstage with them. Uh, you know, they're, <laughs> and so one time I was in a room with like this woman who started uh, ClassPass, you know, which is like a multi-billion dollar company, uh, the founder of WeWork. Miguel, the founder of Away Travel, Casey Neistat, who else? It was like three other unicorns. Powerhouse. Yeah, just like the the ballers of the ballers, like, you know, like big deals. And I remember I didn't, I wouldn't talk. I would listen mostly. And they were all complaining about stuff that I complain about. And they were all nervous to go speak at my event. And they were complaining about how they were too nervous about confrontation to fire people at their company or how they're stressed out and not sure how they're going to raise money or like they don't know if they're ever going to make money off their business. Like all this self-doubt that I also face. And when I, I, there was a huge paradigm shift one year when I was around the founder, those founders in that room that day. And I remember thinking like, oh, wait, these people are not different than me. Like they are not, they are not superhumans. I am no different than them. Maybe sometimes they're a little bit smarter. Maybe, maybe sometimes they're a lot smarter. Maybe sometimes they're but like a, a way dumber, but like in general, we're all in the same field ballpark. They're just taking action. And so that was like my big takeaway. So now it kind of demystified success. You know, my best friend, this guy named Jack Smith, sold his company for close to uh, $800 million in cash when he was 28. And like, I'm like, Jack, you're like pretty good, but you're not like $800 million better than me. And I just, I've always thought about that and it demystified what's possible through one person. Unvalley is brought to you by Powderkeg, the only private member network focused on supporting tech companies and leaders in fast-growing communities beyond Silicon Valley. You can visit powderkeg.com to begin connecting with tens of thousands of professionals, peers, and partners in tech communities across the U.S. and around the world. You can apply for Powderkeg premium membership consideration today by going to powderkeg.com slash premium. This gives you superpowers in the powder keg community and is definitely worth applying for if you think you qualify. This is specifically for leaders at high growth tech companies and startups that are scaling beyond Silicon Valley. Again, that's powderkeg.com slash premium and you can apply today.
it does seem like a lot of media, especially tech media, seem to overemphasize the person's capabilities and the person's natural skill or or some of their superpowers and don't usually talk about luck, market timing, some of the other things that obviously have a huge impact on big exits. Is that something that you think about in in kind of retrospect and seeing all the entrepreneurs that you hosted on stage? Yeah. So like before I quote became successful, I was like, there's no such thing as luck. I'm going to make my own luck. Now I definitely don't think that's luck is luck is real. Luck is very real. Like uh, it was lucky that I was born in America. It was lucky that I've been mostly healthy my whole life. It was lucky that I uh, had emotionally supportive parents. So I believe in luck for sure. Yeah, that was a special time. I actually think that San Francisco is going to have a resurgence. I, I, I think that uh, I think it is, it's going to happen. And I think that because startups are more popular, I think you could also find your community in a lot of different cities. It just happened to be that there was more of it in San Francisco. So it was kind of fun. Tell me more about that. Uh, what are you what are you seeing yourself now being a relocation, uh, relocating out to Austin after being in San Francisco? I'm in Austin now. So I, I live in Austin eight months out of the year. And then I live the rest in New York City because that's where my wife's from and she wants to be with her family. And Austin is way easier to live in. I would say it's more of a happy and fun place to live in. The grind, people don't grind here as much as uh, other cities. So I think if you, I think Austin's ideal to raise a family. I think New York City is crushing it right now and is totally like, I remember when the pandemic hit, I was like, I don't think they're ever going to recover. And that was way wrong. So I think that like New York might be the place to be at the moment for young people who are trying to grind. Talk to me about grinding. Obviously, that it uh, there have been lots of different phases of this over the last decade, uh, with grinding being something that it was uh, heralded as like the thing that separates the successful from the unsuccessful. To grinding is the thing that uh, separates the successful from the unsuccessful. The other direction. To now, it seems like uh, hopefully people have a more balanced view of it. What what's your particular view on it? My view is not that balanced. I think that in order, when you're going from zero to one, let's say like zero to like two or three, maybe 5 million in revenue, you do have to grind. I can't imagine. I think there are always exceptions to, to, to this. And there are some people who are just talented or lucky or something happened and they're able to work 30 or 40 hours a week and make something amazing. But if you're a nobody, which I was, and you're just getting started and you have very little leverage, I can't imagine a world where you're going to succeed working less than 60 hours a week. Uh, you just have to put the time in. And maybe that 60 hours a week can actually only take like 12 months. And then you're able to hire people and you're able to delegate. And when you are able to hire people that are really great and better than you at specific stuff and delegate, then yes, you can actually chill a little bit. Or if you already have some success or you already have like a well-known name or if you already have some money that you can like be like, hey, I'm just going to hire a person to run the company and I'm going to put in most of the money. If you already have that, then yeah, you can get away with kind of chilling a little bit. But I, I just can't, not 100% of the people who grind are going to succeed, but nearly 100% of the people who succeed are willing to grind, I think. What about people who are early in their career? So not entrepreneurs, they want to just be a part of something special at a high growth tech company. Do you have any top pieces of advice from all the different startups that you've seen? Yeah, well, I think that you got to make sure that you pick the right company because when you're joining an early stage startup, you're basically investing something more than money, which is more valuable than money, which is time. But you have to kind of act like you're investing money. And so you're like, well, let's say, uh, you know, I'm getting $100,000 of equity in this company. If I had over $100,000, would I be willing to invest that into this business? And so if that's the case, you have to make sure, A, that it's a good investment and you believe that the upside is like, 10 or 20x given the risk. You also have to make sure that your paperwork is all straight and like good and like you're you're getting paid the right like in the cap table it's structured nicely. So you have to make sure all of those things. And then once you have that uh, and so you've like made an educated guess that this is a good bet to take and all your ducks in a row like you do, all paperwork's done right and signed. I think that you should grind and and do something amazing. And I don't think that you should work necessarily like 80 hours a week on that one company, but I think you should work a lot and then also network like crazy. So like when I sold my business to a company called Apartmentless, I was an employee there for a year and about a year and I was hosting meetups like every single week. And that's how I built this network. So when I was able to launch my thing, I just made a couple of phone calls and I had help. So you want to like 
you know, it's called putting the hay in the barn. You want to train, 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 put that hay in the barn for when you need it, you know, train hard, win easy. And so you're just preparing, preparing, preparing. And oftentimes you don't know what you're preparing for, but you do know when you, when you need a favor or you've been putting in the work. So you're, you're owed one by a lot of different people. So I think that's the way to go. If you are young, you don't have a lot of responsibility. Like you don't have a family. I see no reason why you shouldn't be doing that. Put hay in the barn. Your Midwest metaphors are going to go a long way here, Sam. Keep them coming, Good. man. Your, uh, your, your kind of focus there on hustle, get it done early, contribute value, um, I, I think has been resonated by a lot of the other speakers. Getting it done early, by the way, is a really big deal. Yeah. I think. yeah t- tell me more about that. Man, like I'm, I'm, I'm 32, so I'm not just out of school, but I'm still young enough. But I, I have a little bit of wisdom, I hope. And at 21, I was kind of stupid in a good way. Like I was ignorant. I didn't know like the pain that I was about to go into. And I was stupid enough to think I was good enough. And I had a ton of energy. I only spent two or $3,000 a month like from all my living expenses. No family. Sometimes I had a girlfriend. Like it was awesome. So like if you put in that work then, it's actually the easiest time to put in work. And it pays dividends. Like if you do it correctly, you should be compounding and it'll, it'll pay dividends by the time you're in your thirties and forties. And that's the time when you want the time and you want the leverage and things like that. And not enough people take risks early on. I remember when I started my company, I was so jealous that my friend got a job at PricewaterhouseCoopers or one of the accounting firms. It was making $60,000 a year. I was like, God damn, they're rich. Like, (laughs) what am I doing? I'm in this basement building this website what the heck am i doing and i was like just have patience it'll pay off if you if you if it it'll pay off and then five years later when i start making a lot of money and it starts working and i'm my own boss they all come to me and they're jealous and i'm like dude it was the other way around for the longest time i was jealous of you but thankfully i wouldn't say and i was in a situation where i was forced to do it like i didn't have many options I was kind of not employable, so I had to do it. But it, it, you need to have patience and you need to take risks early on and just be willing to like know that like the first 10 years of your career, if you could take those big risks early on, it'll pay dividends and you're not going to lose out on much. It seems like as you're, you're kind of um, piling hay, I, I, now I'm missing the metaphor, uh, but as you're stacking hay, you're almost creating this like density of resources for yourself in your own personal career. 100%. And we talk about that a lot in the Unvalley. Obviously, geographically, cities like Nashville, Indianapolis don't have as much geographic density of venture capital, of talent, of customers willing to buy from startups. Now with the internet, we can do that all virtually. When you kind of look back at your early days at the hustle, how did you create that early density? We talk about the thousand true fans. Kevin Kelly, you know, early days of Wired, wrote the blog post, thousand true fans. If you can get your first thousand true fans that will buy anything from you, no matter what, you know, share something from you, subscribe for something. Um, what were some of those things that tipped you over the edge in the early days of the hustle? So the biggest thing was that I was always doing stuff and I would tell people about it. I was fairly loud about it. And I would say, I just quit my job. I'm starting this thing called HustleCon and it's going to be amazing, I think. And I would I'd be like, all right, boom, we just hit, you know, 100 tickets sold. This is amazing. This is going awesome. Or I would just take a picture of me, like, making cold calls today, trying to figure this out. And my enthusiasm was contagious. And people started living vicariously through me. And the, a good analogy is, like, if you see someone on the side of the road holding their thumb up because their car's broken down, you may not stop. But if you see someone on the side of the road pushing their own car to like go get gas, you're likely to get out and help them. And what I learned early on was that people, both particularly successful people, but most anyone, they love seeing someone put the effort in and work. And if they see you willing to do that, they're going to help you out. And so I would cold email like the founder of Business Insider. His name was Kevin Ryan. He's probably a billionaire. He started Gilt, MongoDB, Business Insider, and a bunch of other companies. He's like running for mayor of New York. Uh, is, is the rumor. And I would cold email him and he wouldn't reply forever. And I would be like, Hey, Kevin, I'm a big fan of yours. I, in this interview that you gave in 2014, you said the struggle of business Insider was X, Y, and Z. I just started my media company. I think I'm facing that same problem. How did you overcome it? And he didn't reply. And I would 
email a month later. Hey, Kevin, um, so I actually solved the problem. Here's what I did. Anyway, our current, our current traction is this, this, and this. Just giving you an update. Talk soon. And I would keep that up literally for six or 12 months. And then finally, he would reply and he would get me on the phone and he would help me. And I would do that with all types of people like big successful people and not successful people. I would find the early employees of all the companies that I wanted to emulate. I would find all of them and I would like send emails just like that to all types of people. And what I found out was that people, people don't always take action and that makes them love someone like me or someone who is starting companies because they saw that I was action oriented and it inspired them and made them want to help me. That's a really good insight. That's a really good insight. I, thinking back, I remember seeing your hustle and being like, man, I can't attend this, but I just want to buy a ticket, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like they want to be part of it. Yeah, yeah, when Trends launch, I'm like, I don't have time to read this right now, but I want to support it, so I'm going to buy a subscription. Yeah, and the reason why is people just saw that I was trying stuff, and even if the, if it wasn't a success, most people are, unaf- are afraid to try something, and they see me, and they're like, well, you're not that smart, you talk kind of crudely like you're not better than I am if you can do it I can do it and, and because you kind of gave me that a little bit of inspiration I'll support you well and you sold sold your company tell me a little bit about that was that always a goal of yours to sell a company my goal when I was 20 was to make at least 20 million dollars by the age of 30 because I was like in my head 20 million dollars will give me enough money that my family can live lavishly somewhat lavishly depends on I guess who you're asking and like be secured. And the reason why is I remember as a kid, my mom swiped her debit card and like bought me $2,000 worth of braces as a kid. And she didn't have a lot of money at the time. You know, they probably only had 10 grand in their bank account. And I was like, that's so amazing that they were to do that. And yet I feel so guilty. And like, I don't, I'm like scared of running out of resources for my family. So I set that age at 20. And so when I built my company, I definitely built it to sell. I, I like was I had a sale in mind. I had a number in mind. It was all built around that number. And looking back, I'm happy I did it. But I wish that the company, the hustle, is an amazing company. I wish that, and I love the brand. The hustle was my life. It is my life. It's not. It's art to me. Uh, it's kind of sold to me. So I wish that I was already wealthy enough that I didn't have to sell it. That's for sure. Yeah, you keep that ownership and keep the playground where you can keep creating. Yeah. And I'm happy about the decision that I made, but I only made it because I had set this goal and like, I knew what it was like to be poor and I didn't want my family to experience that. But, uh, I sure wish I, you know, the circumstances were slightly different. Tell me about the, the emotions you felt in the days following signing the paperwork. Dude, immediately after it kind of felt like I had bad eyesight and I had just put glasses on for the first time. I was like, is this how people live? Like you, like for years, well, for like 10 years, because I had all other types of businesses, I had always worried about payroll. And I'd always worried about like, oh, man, Ben said he's having a kid. Like one of my employees is having a kid. It kind of feels like I'm having a kid because like the decisions I make are going to like help support this this child. Like tons of stresses like that. Or like, oh, man, I just got a Slack message that says like, we need to talk. Uh, Like, oh, they're quitting. God darn it. Like, I remember like I was fight or flight mode all the time. And then when I sold, I was like, oh my God, like I don't own the business anymore. So I'm not, I'm not responsible anymore of anything. Like I have zero responsibility. And that was amazing. I felt so good. Uh, The first 12 months, it was like heaven. And I was like, this is, this is the way to live. And then the last six months that I've been in, I'm like, all right, what I learned is like, People, I don't know if it's like a man thing. It's probably not. But like, I was like, from a man's perspective, I was like, I need a mission. Like I need a task. I need to go. I I need like, I need like a car to chase. Like I'm a dog. You know what I mean? I was like, I, I, I gotta, I gotta go hunting. I can't just sit and, 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 and chill. Like I have to work. And so, uh, that's kind of been my feelings now where I was like, all right, I got what I wanted. turns out when you get what you want, you're just going to end up doing what you did before. It's the hero's journey. You were on a quest, man. I was on a quest and now I'm like, oh, well, like work is not like, it's not like uh, it's something that you have to do in the sense of uh, like, like, like everyone's like, we're in this, it's like a not imposed by the outside so much where it's like, it's more self-imposed to where it's like, you're just like ingrained as a human being to contribute and to improve constantly. And I didn't realize that until recently. If you uh, could teleport yourself back in time, Sam, knowledge now, back 
10 years to Sam Knowledge then, 21 years old or 20 whatever years old in San Francisco. Is there anything you would have done differently? Yeah. So I, I gave a little bit of equity to people and I took a little bit of angel money. And when you do that, you basically are obligated, you're a fiduciary. So you, it's my duty to provide a return. And I wish I was able to run the company more selfishly than I had, where it's like, no, like we're going to own this for 50 plus years. We're going to give it to our children. I wish it was like that. I couldn't pull that off because I didn't have enough money to pay people what they were truly worth. So I had to give equity. But I wish I probably could have figured out a way how to do that to pull that off. And so I wish I would have owned 100. I owned the vast majority, but I wish I owned 100%. So I didn't have any like obligation or whether both ethically and legally to like provide a return for people. And I could have just grown it for a longer period of time without giving any employees the expectation of a sale of a sale. So that's definitely a thing that I wish I would have done. But I'm happy with my decisions. I do think though, that like next time I start something, I'm going to have a far longer time horizon. Because like the real gains of our company, we sold when we were four and a half years old, the real gains wouldn't have started until like around we would have done like north of 40 million in, in revenue this year. And, and that was when the real gains started happening. And I didn't realize that I was not being patient. Like the real gains start like maybe past year five, for sure. Five is pretty early, but like seven, eight, nine, ten. Like that's like when, when it feels like stu- stu- start, stuff starts working out really well. That, that makes a ton of sense. And dude, it's so, it's so hard to start something. So if you have something that's working, only sell it if you really have to. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. That's good advice. I, I really like that a lot. But you might not have you know, fat fire right now if you had sure. sold and taken it off the table. So, Which is why I'm not complaining. I'm happy yeah. I did it. But there's sure. a phrase, rich people sell, wealthy people never sell. Yeah. So Keep the like, asset. Yeah. You, if, if you have something that's working, now that I know, like when I had the hustle, we were growing like 2x every year, which is good. It's not great, but it's really good. And I was like, but, uh, you know, we're not growing three or four X. It's not world class. Therefore, like, it's no big deal. I can just restart this at any given point. Now that I am starting from zero, I don't have any employees helping me. I don't have a lot. I have an audience already, which is good. And I got some money, but it's still kind of from scratch. I'm learning, man, getting stuff off the ground to grow two or three X a year is really, really, really hard and really rare. It's challenge. It's a really big challenge. Well, I love following along uh, what you're building with your Airbnb business. Can you tell me uh, why you decided to go in that direction? I've always wanted to open up a hotel and my wife works at Airbnb and I met a couple guys that have like 20, 30, 40 million dollars worth of Airbnbs and they're paying themselves a lot of money. And I was like, dude, that's so cool. I love working with my hands. I love getting dirty. And so I bought this ranch called Marathon Ranch. Go to MarathonRanch.com. You can see it. And or is it dot com or dot co? I think dot com. And it's awesome. To, so I bought this ranch and uh, I'm building some, it has a, a really nice house on there and I'm building cabins because it just feels so good to get out. And the internet's great because you can start something from nothing really easily, but you don't physically get to see your thing and you don't get to touch it and you don't necessarily get to enjoy it with like your family and friends. And so I wanted to do this Airbnb business because it felt really good to work with my hands and to sweat and to like see like what's happening. It felt good to like, we have a house cleaner who's like, you know, not, she's not like in the, in the uh, socioeconomic status of like a tech worker. It's like, good. It feels nice to like employ different types of people and to create opportunities for different types of people. And like the people attending my Airbnb are going like, they're not like, you know, wealthy tech people necessarily. It's like, they're just normal families. And it feels good to create a product that like helps service, helps serve normal quote, normal people and like provide jobs for uh, normal people. And it feels awesome. It's fun to get out of your bubble. So that's one of the reasons why I love it. I love that too. It seems to me just hearing your story, knowing uh, your skill set in writing, moving people emotionally, what you're doing now with the Airbnb business, it seems a lot of what your career has been about and your work as an artist is about creating shared experiences. I guess so. Yeah, I, that's a, you're, you're, you're being my therapist. So thank you. I've never thought about that. If you could wish one experience on everybody in the world to have one experience, what's one of the experiences you would wish upon people that they could all have? I think making $1 on the internet is like world changing. You know, I I encouraged my wife to do it recently and she did it and she was like, okay, I understand. 
Like, so just making one sale on the internet is pretty amazing. The second thing that like is a pretty world changing experience is cold outreach to someone who you admire and making, becoming friends with them. That's like pretty amazing. And one experience. No, I mean, those are pretty good. I, I maybe like the, the, the fear of like quitting your job and having nothing and slowly figuring it out. Once you do that, I, I feel like nothing can stop me. And maybe one last thing. I like to box. I box. I box a lot. Tell me about that. Every once in a while, I'll get beat up. I got beat up pretty bad the other day. This, this young guy, his name's V. He was 21. He cleaned my clock. He kicked my ass. <laughs> and uh, how did that get, feel? I didn't, well, I didn't get knocked out, but like he beat me up. And I didn't feel embarrassed because I worked hard and he was just better than me, whatever. But after getting beat up, I was like, that wasn't so bad, was it? I feel pretty good. Nothing could stop me. Like I just got, I just got physically assaulted and I'm perfectly fine. Like there's nothing to fear. And so finding those times where you can be in like a relative, like, like when you're boxing, when you're sparring with your partner, like you're not trying to knock someone out, but they'll punch you really hard in the body and they'll hurt. And so it's a pretty controlled environment, but it's very fearful and very scary. And once you realize that you're able to overcome things like that controlled environment, it kind of feels like the rest of the world is like the volume is turned down. And so I love experiences like that. And so if you can ever find a way where you maybe won't really actually get hurt, or maybe in some cases you might, but you're able to survive it and walk away, it dials everything else down and makes business go on easy mode. I sure hope Chris Rock is having a similar experience right now with his recent assault. Oh man, that guy's, he's going to crush it. He's going to make, he'll make $50 million from this. I, I, I would totally go and watch his comedy now uh, just because of that. But uh, absolutely, I think if you could like put yourself like I, every once in a while, I'll go uh, take a race car. Like I've taken like three different race car classes. And like when I do that, I'm like, oh my God, this is so fast. Like, it, like I'll drive with the driver and sit in the passenger seat. And he's like, you know, you have a little near death and you're like, oh my God everything else is just calm. And so like having any of those adrenaline experiences, I, I, I think are actually really good for life and business. We got to get you out here to uh, the Indy 500 track and put you in an Indy car sometime. Dude, I'm down. I would love that. It's very frightening. I've done it, uh, things like that a couple of times. It's, it's people are, are, are madmen. Indianapolis is an email town too. So I feel like you'd like it for those reasons too. I'm down. I'm in. What's one way the Unvalley community can help support you and what you're passionate about right now as an artist? Uh, a few things. So um, I have our podcast. It's called My First Million. It's uh, pretty good, I think. My uh, it's fantastic. Co my co-host Sean kind of carries the loads, and he's very very talented. I also have a thing that I've been tinkering with called Copy That. So uh, copywriting has changed my my life. So I created a way to help people learn. So if you go to trycopythat.com, that's like a fun resource to learn how to write better. I'm on day four today. I can. Oh, how is it? It's fantastic. I, I freaking love it. I have not done my assignment today, but I did them Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. If you learn when you write it up by hand, right? Yeah. 100%. It's magical. It's a magical way to learn because it requires very little effort. You know, you just like, you don't have to think, you just write and it makes you, it makes you better. So that's really good. And then uh, you can follow me on Instagram or Twitter, the Sam Parr. But dude, I'm happy you're liking copy that. So it's improving your writing. Absolutely. I, I have studied copywriting through the years. I'm so rusty and I needed just that push over the edge and copy that. So digestible, you know, seven, I think it's seven days, right? 10 days, Ten. seven days, 10 days. Monday to Friday, Monday to Friday. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I can do that. You know, that, yeah, that's and doable. So you, uh, you did Louis CK, you did the boron letters. I made the, that one, the hard one early on. And then to, what else did you do? The Joel, Joel on software. He's great, right? He's a beautiful yeah. writer. So good. I had no idea. Like I, I know him from, you know, all of the stuff that he's done, like Stack Overflow, but I just, I didn't know he was such a great writer. He's really good. So anyway, that's what copy that is. It's uh, learning how to write better. I'm happy that it's working. Yeah. We linked it up in the virtual, virtual booth. So we got a virtual booth for it in the expo. So people that are at Unvalley right now, uh, right after this session, you can go check it out. It's really easy to find. Um, we're gifting a few of, of the, uh, scholarships to a few people too. So make sure you sign oh, up for that. Oh, sick. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%, man. Thanks for sharing your story here. And uh, thanks for doing everything that you're doing and sharing along the way. I'm trying. Thank you for having me. Now you're doing it, man. Absolutely. That's it for today's show. Thanks so much for listening. And a huge thanks to Sam Parr for sharing his story and insights with the Unvalley community. 
If you're looking to get away, be sure to check out Sam's stunning Airbnb at marathonranch.com. I also highly recommend the copywriting course that Sam created with his wife. It's called Copy That, and it's one of the best investments you can make in yourself. I've taken it myself. I'm taking it now for the second time now that it's a new year because it's that good. So check it out at trycopythat.com. Again, that's trycopythat.com. We'll link it all up in the show notes. But Sam also co-hosts a great podcast named My First Million with incredible guests like Darmesh Shah, Rob Deerdeck, and Gary Vaynerchuk, who happen to be featured on episode one of Unvalley. So shout out to Gary. For links to the social profiles and the websites and resources and the people and companies and all of the other things mentioned in this episode, head on over to powderkeg.com check out our show notes for this episode and get further plugged into these awesome opportunities beyond the Bay Area. Thanks for tuning in to Unvalley, the show for leaders who want to unlock their full potential and plug into the biggest opportunities in tech and startups beyond Silicon Valley. Unvalley is brought to you by Powder Keg, which is the only private member network focused on supporting tech companies and leaders in fast-growing communities beyond the Bay Area. To get the latest Unvalley news, trends, and guides, subscribe to the Unvalley newsletter from Powder Keg at powderkeg.com slash newsletter. It's 100% free and plugs you into the hottest tech companies, startup opportunities, and jobs beyond Silicon Valley. Subscribe today at powderkeg.com slash newsletter. And to be the first to hear the stories about entrepreneurs, investors, and other tech leaders outside of Silicon Valley, subscribe to Unvalley wherever you listen to podcasts at powderkeg.com slash Unvalley. We included a bunch of helpful links there so you can subscribe wherever you listen. And if you're already subscribed to Unvalley, thank you. If you like what you've heard, I would love to hear from you. I'd also love to hear from you even if you don't like what you've heard. Uh, shoot me a note at matt at powderkeg.com. We're always trying to make this podcast better for you. But if you're feeling great about what you're hearing and you want to hear more of it, I would love it if you could leave us a review for Unvalley. You'll have a chance to get a shout out on the show, some VIP perks, and maybe even participate in an upcoming interview. Until then, we'll catch you next time on Unvalley, a Powder Keg original production. Since you just listened to this podcast, you might be thinking about starting one for your company. Lucky for you, our partners over at Casted have you covered. Casted is the first and only podcast and video marketing platform made specifically for B2B brands. I love this about them. The platform makes it possible to publish, syndicate, amplify, and measure the value of your podcast and video content. In fact, we use it for our podcast here at Powder Keg. Of course, this one you're listening to on Valley. And if you're a startup, you should listen up because Casted for Startups is definitely for you. They are offering exclusive deep discounts of up to 82% off retail price for qualifying startups. Connect with Casted at casted.us slash powderkeg.